Homeless, a group this organization has served since Ulysses S. Grant was president. Let's talk about it with Laura Childers on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're so glad you're here. And as always, you always have a place at our table. And I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter, who is our executive producer, is here. Matthew says even if he eats just a little at McDonald's, he still feels so full of regret. (laughs) And our producer, Jinx, is in his little glass booth. Speaking of food, Jinx, what's on the menu for today? Hot liquor. <laughs> Some people know what that is. It is the juice of black-eyed peas. Uh, the nectar of the black-eyed gods. Black-eyed peas for what? Black-eyed peas for Presbyterian good luck. Okay. <laughs> we'll check with you next week and see uh, if You better give it a couple months. God fact. takes his time. <laughs> Our video director, John Myers, is in his uh, tech bunker. Uh, though he recently did venture out of that bunker and saw his shadow, so we have six more weeks of winter. And Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George enjoys coffee, golf, and the gentle sound of someone donating stocks and other securities to Key Life. And Kathy Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. Kathy never met a pan that she didn't like. We're having, we're going to have a great Will time. Will Rogers, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what? Somebody else writes these. I, it, I mean, in fact, Matthew does, and I think he ought to get credit for every one of Did them. Did you cook but... fish in the microwave again? <laughs> <laughs> We got a great guest today, and we got a great program. You know, we deal with everything abuse and problems in the church and violations of grace and all kinds of a sundry subjects that are down and dark and but not today. Today we're gonna hear some stories about lives that were changed, and you're going to be glad you spent the time with us. Laura Childers serves on the communications team at the Bowery Mission, and that's a faith-based nonprofit serving New Yorkers experiencing homelessness. She's a graduate of Covenant College and worked as a magazine editor for six years, before entering the nonprofit space. Most recently, Laura is the author of a book. I got to find it. Uh, <laughs> called Lives Transformed, which I hold in my nicotine stained fingers. It's a collection of stories gathered from the 150 years since Jerry and Maria McCauley 
founded their groundbreaking mission on Water Street in New York City, and that was in 1872. Laura, you've got to feel like when you work for a mission like that, uh, you better not mess it up because they're passing <laughs> along the ball to you at the one yard line and they've been running it for the whole game. How did yeah. you get involved in, in the Bowery mission? Uh, yeah, well, I, I had a friend who was working there and she just said, Hey, I wanted to take a risk and apply for a job at the mission. I was working, living and working in Tennessee at the time and flew up there and met some people, especially James Macklin, um, who's one of the stories featured in the book. We really hit it off because we're both musicians and um, he's a graduate of the mission, came through the program, had experienced homelessness. Um, So they, you know, it was a real fit. They were like, when can you move to New York City? So I moved to New York City and started working for the Bowery Mission. That was almost six years ago. You know, I'm um, in every city where I've served. uh, There's been a mission like the Bowery Mission. And uh, there's one here in Orlando, the Orlando Mission. There was one in Miami, one in Boston, uh, one on Cape Cod. And and I never realized the roots of all of those missions. Tell us a little bit about the story, how it got started, and the difference it made nationally. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So Jerry and Maria McCauley were, were both Irish immigrants who grew up in New York City, who were in New York City in the 1870s. And um, they both had somewhat radical conversion stories themselves. Um, Jerry McCauley, he is just this incredible figure of a person. He was a river thief um, back around that time where there was all the commerce down by the docks of the East River. And he would go and steal at night, sell the loot during the day and was part of gangs down by the river and um, very gangs of New York, if you've ever you see that movie. Um, I'm a Christian. And then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing. And then um, he was um, accused of a crime he didn't commit and was sent to Sing Sing. And he had this uh, experience in prison where he heard the testimony of Orville Gardner, who had been a famous prize fighter. And he started reading the Bible while in prison and then came to faith. And then, um, when he got out, you know, he, he was also a heavy drinker. And when he got out, he relapsed, you know, into his former way of living several times, but he experienced um, some really powerful transformative relationships of people who just stuck with him and kept, you know, giving him opportunities and showing him a lot of grace. And he um, eventually, you know, had this vision for a mission in lower Manhattan where a lot of people were, Poor. I mean, you think of like the tenements during the 1870s in New York City, these crowded neighborhoods, gangs, you know, um, and he he and Maria, she has her whole story. You know, it's a whole other story I could go into. But they started they wanted to to create a place where anybody could be welcomed into a community of hope um, and acceptance in this time where you think of, you know, sort of this time where people I think of the deserving and the undeserving poor but they wanted to create a place where people were welcomed into a community of love and, and transformation. So there's a 
Was it, I've been reading a lot of stories this morning. Uh, it was Mr. McCauley. Did a man ask him to look after his yacht? Yes. Uh, even yes. knowing that he was a thief. Yes. And that that story was amazing to me as I was reading through all of these um, old accounts. And that was a, a part of the story. There was a very wealthy businessman um, named Alfred E. Catch. There's actually a beautiful painting of his family in the Met Museum. If you're ever in New York City and you see it and you see that they're kind of this elite New York family. And but he had a special um, friendship with Jerry McCauley, who was kind of no one at the time. I mean, the poorest of the poor. So he was a mentor to Jerry um, and he had a yacht. And even despite knowing Jerry's history as a river thief, he said, OK, I want to employ you. Um, how about you, you know, watch over be essentially a security guard for my yacht. And Jerry was just shocked by that offer and said when when he offered that, I thought maybe maybe there maybe I can be somebody. Mm -hmm. That is a that is such a good story with overtones of some other stories that are just wonderful. Did um, when 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 you went to the Bowery Mission, had you ever had these kinds of experiences? I mean, was your dad a drunk and your mom <laughs> a, a lady who was thieving? Absolutely, uh, <laughs> no. That was not my story, and you know. It's interesting because to I and I talk to people. Part of my job now is to talk to people about their stories um, of coming to the Bowery Mission and then their journey since then, their recovery. And sometimes I do get that question: "You well, who are you? You know, what's your story?" And I think, to be perfectly honest, for a while I felt like, "What do I say to that?" And then. As I've been growing and learning from our own clinical team and going through my own life challenges, and I, I think there is something where I might not have your same story, but we all know yeah. we're human beings and we know what it means to suffer. Um, and we know what it means to <laughs> mess up. And we know what it means to, you know, like... I don't know, you know, and so we can have these sort of human connections. Um, I love that attitude. You know, that's an attitude and we we'll, don't have a time in this segment. But Fanny Crosby, uh, Aunt Fanny uh, was not a thief either. Yeah. And look what she did at the Bowery Mission. And we're going to talk about that when we get back. By the way, this is a great book. It's not long. It's not a hard-to-read uh, to book. You can read it in an hour or so, and you'll feel better about the world. We're living in a place where it's very easy to get depressed and wonder if God is doing anything. Well, he is. Get the book, Lives Transformed, and we'll tell you how you can get it a little bit later. But right now, this is very hard work, and... And we're tired. And so we're going to have some cookies and milk. And then we're coming back.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, We're talking with Laura Childers. She's on the communications team at the Bowery Mission in New York and the author and editor of a wonderful book, and you'll use it for your devotions called Lives Transformed. Kathy? Laura, um, during the break, I was mentioning that um, Fanny Crosby is is buried at Mountain Grove Cemetery, which is in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and um, right around the corner from my grandmother. And um, the thing that when I was a kid, I went to, you know, to see that. And um, it was pretty remarkable to me, even as a kid that, I mean, it's just the most unassuming little marker. And, uh, and yet a woman that has written somewhere between what is it like five to 9,000 hymns somewhere around in there that has so profoundly, you know, affected the world. And yet just just down the walkway from her is this monstrosity edifice to P.T. Barnum. And uh, and I remember even as a kid thinking, you know, just how incredibly uh, this was just so weird. I mean, you know, I mean, the circus is a great thing, but certainly not in comparison. Tell us a little bit about her. A lot of people um, are familiar with the fact that, you know, that she wrote some hymns, but a a lot of people are not familiar with a lot of other things about her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that fascinates me is just how she committed her life to the rescue mission movement from really 1880. I think she was 60 by that time. So it was, you know, she was older. Um, But the last part of her life, she saw herself primarily, um, well, she saw herself first as a rescue mission worker and second as an artist, essentially. And um, that was her heart. She moved to lower Manhattan. She was frequenting the missions down there. And a lot of her songs, you notice the themes in the songs being about um, just coming to the cross in our poverty, um, her famous songs, you know, near the cross. Um, you know, that's probably one of her most famous, but she, so the Bowery mission connection is she would come and, you know, she was known as aunt Fanny and she's just this little lady, like she's physically so small and, um, but very beloved. And she would write a hymn upon the anniversary celebration of the Bowery mission every year. Um, and a new one and then attend the celebration and talk and 
play the hymn. And so just amazing woman. And the fact that she, you know, has this small grave, it's really in line. There's, she, she wrote all these hymns, but it's, you know, some, she didn't really always get a ton of credit for them or the rights to them, um, financial rights to them in her life. Some people think she was actually taken advantage of by her publishers anyway. Um, but she was well known. And when she was there, she didn't, she wasn't the, she sat in the audience mm -hmm. and mingled with the drunks and the thieves. Oh, yeah. That's where she was comfortable. Yeah, that's where she wanted to be. And that, you know, she was beloved by them. And she, I like, there's this quote that I include in the book that I love from her, where she talks about, don't tell a man of a sin. He knows them already. Tell him of the love um, that is waiting for him. Um, mm. And I think that really encapsulates her, her, her heart and her spirit. That's so good. I didn't know about any of that. Matthew? Well, Steve touched on this earlier. Um, you know, every major city uh, has some kind of homeless mission, some kind of uh, outreach like this. And we just take it as kind of a given that, yeah, those are all there. But at a, at a point about 150 years ago, that was not uh, understood as a thing yet. I wondered, you know, did did the Bowery mission kind of end up having a, a, a shaping influence on this expansion of this idea of a, of a rescue mission? Yeah, that's a um, great question. So um, the rescue mission movement at large is really um, you can trace all the way back to Jerry and Maria McCauley and they're considered the, the founders of the movement at large. And so um, it was so their famous mission on Water Street um, really launched a movement in that, like, I think it was just seven years later that the Barry mission itself was founded with the Macaulay support. Mm. And then the Macaulay's had a newspaper. Um, so the power of media, of course, is part of this. And um, as a direct result of the Macaulay's influence and the writing and just the fact of Jerry had this incredibly charismatic personality when he spoke and he had his own personal testimony. And so as a direct result of Macaulay's influence, I think it was about 100 missions began across the country between the 1870s and the 1890s. And it's amazing because if you look at these rescue missions websites, so many are still operating today and their stories, their history on their website will say, like, we trace it back to the Macaulay's. So this very humble couple, this very humble mission, I think it started with like, I don't know, they put up like a wooden sign and then they just sort of like let people in the room and then it, it launched this movement. So they were social media pioneers of of their age. <laughs> Influencers of their yes, time. Yes. Yeah. Their and Twitter people. accounts were actual birds, though. <laughs> people all over the country began to hear the stories of changed lives. And, you know, when you see a good thing like that, you want to have something similar. And so people with vision and I wonder if those mission agencies that are working in the inner city are aware of their roots. I suspect they are. I think I think so. I mean, there is um, the the coalition that we're a part of is the CityGate Network, um, and so you know, there's 
the association of gospel rescue missions, it traces all the way back to those early ages. And so this network has existed and is still together. And then at conferences, you know, the history is spoken of and remembered because we have to remember who we are to remember, you know, where we're going. Um, And so what's amazing too, I just want to add about so many of these missions that started were people who had a life transforming experience at a mission. And then were inspired to begin their own, go somewhere else. And and that's still something I, it's so common today when I talk to people even now about their stories, they're just upon having this amazing experience there. They just, people just want to give back. They want, they want to help people who are in the same situation that they're in. You know, one of the things, and maybe we can talk about it later, that was really interesting is the way there's no competition. I mean, the Macaulay's supported the mission down the street from them. And uh, in some quarters, that would be a no-no. I mean, I'm doing my thing. You do your thing, but do it somewhere else because I don't need any competition. But they didn't do that. And that's been true of that whole mission movement across the country. Hey, guys, you got to get this book. It'll make you feel better about the world. Lives Transformed. And we'll give you some information later to let you know uh, where you can get that book. And we're talking with Laura Childers, who's a part of the communication team and the writer and the editor of this book of stories that have been... It's amazing what love... For the unlovable will do for you and them. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know, a gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What Do You Do for a Living and Life After Retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini-books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. Hey, we... We're glad to have you with us on this etc. Uh, edition. We're hanging out with Laura Childers. Uh, you can keep up with the organization she serves at Bowery.org. Laura, give us some contact information. If somebody wants to get this book, you can't buy it at the local grocery store, can you? 
No, you cannot. It's a one of a kind edition. So um, I would say email us at info at Bowery.org. Yeah, it's actually not distributed widely, but um, you can also visit Bowery.org slash 150 years. And it's the companion website for the book. Give us that one again. Bowery, www.bowery.org slash 150 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Laura, um, one of the names that stood out to me that probably would be most familiar, uh, one of the most familiar figures in the book was uh, J.C. Penney, um, which I'd be interested in hearing about. But just as an aside, um, I thought one of the really cool bonuses of the book is the artwork. Mm-hmm. And you were saying there's uh, some significance in how that was put together with the book. Talk a little about yeah. that. So thanks for asking about that. That was actually something I was really personally passionate about because working in communications for a homeless services agency, I'm used to seeing a lot of images that are very bleak um, and dark and kind of have this grunginess or, or people, you know, reach out to us. They say, can we interview the people that you serve? And typically the creative that we see coming out of that is, is this like raw, you know, kind of desperation that the way that people, the creative choices that people are making and our goal in this book and in the creative was to um, have this sort of vibrant human flourishing dignity, uh, you know, the way people are created to be originally and then rediscovering. Um, And so we wanted to put images out there that were vibrant and human and powerful. And, um, and so we used photographs of the people. And then we worked with the graphic artist to um, do what looks almost like a, a painting of each person using that. Yeah, almost a watercolor type of presentation almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and J.C. Penney? Yeah. So J.C. Penney, thanks so much for asking about that. So he himself is not, you know, it's not that he came through the mission himself and um, was homeless at any point. It's, that's not his story, but he did come to the a mission on the Bowery in a great time of need after the loss of his wife. And he had kind of reached the bottom had fallen out of his life. And he was looking for meaning and completely depressed and finds himself going down to the Bowery, slipping in the back of a service and really finding being in a mission, a place of healing and being in God's presence. And so that was a very quiet encounter. It wasn't loud. He just kind of slipped in and slipped out, but it was transformative for him. And then years later when the depression hit and it's putting a lot of financial pressures on the missions in lower Manhattan, he comes in um, as a benefactor and is becomes part of the board and really through his own generosity, personal generosity, kept the Bowery mission from, you know, going under during the great Mm. depression. Um, and it was because of his, you know, great personal conviction and sense of the importance of the work. Mm. You know, I knew some of his children and liked to listen to stories when they would talk about him. Uh, but you know, I didn't know the connection with the Bowery mission. Uh, that does not surprise me. Uh, some of the men and women that age were strong Christians, and they cared about their communities and their country. 
and they backed it up with their funds and their expertise. And that doesn't surprise me, but it kind of pleases me that he would slip in the back at the Bowery Mission because he found it as a place of healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was it was a great, as I understand it, great cost. It was very costly to him. It, you know, he was successful to a degree as a businessman by the time that he was contributing financially in that way to the mission. But as I understand it, it was not easy for him to do what he did to pull the mission out uh, financially mm. during that time. Mm. Good story. Man, Matthew. So, uh, you know, we're, we're closing in on, on, on the end of this segment, but I wondered if you could uh, at least start telling us any, another story from the book, any that just really stick with you close to your heart. Yeah. So one I love, his name is Freight Grandy. He came to the mission in the 60s and 70s, and he is the man who is responsible for painting the Bowery Mission doors. They're iconic red. Um, so that is now, do I have time to share the story or should we wait? It's such a good setup. Let's tease it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> we call that a teaser in the industry. It means that now you have told us what you're going to do. And it's the promise that you will do it when we return. The name of the book, by the way, is Lives Transformed. Sometimes we forget when we get involved in religion and theology and metaphysics that bottom line, this is not about doctrine. It's about people. And it's about people whose lives are changed forever. And this will do you good, better than medicine, better than drugs if you're depressed. Get a copy of this book, read it, and then get on your knees and say, do it again, do it again. Well, we're going to do it again on the other side of the break. Don't you dare go anywhere. was irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know... She seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face-to-face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Hey, we're talking to Laura Childers, and she's the editor and the writer of a little book that is uh, life-changing and is titled Lives Transformed. It's about the Bowery Mission. And if you haven't been familiar with this sort of ministry, this is a good way to stick your toe in the swimming pool 
and begin to see some very important things that God is doing in some very dark places. By the way, you can find out how to get the book by emailing the guys at Bowery Mission and um, the give us um, give us the website again, Laura. I'm old Hi. and I forget. www.bowery.org. Okay, good stuff, Laura. Before the break, you were telling us about um, one of the stories that particularly stood out to you about a guy who was around the mission in the 60s and 70s and um, kind of left his own kind of mark on the organization. Tell us a little bit more about that, please. Yeah, his name is Frank Grandy. Um, the reason why I like this story is it, it, it almost reminds me of Jerry McCauley's story, you know, our founder of the rescue mission movement story, because it's, it's very common to tell these stories of rags to riches, these sort of victory stories. And I love these stories that are about people who just continue to struggle. It's not just one day you wake up and I have the victory. It's, uh, I, I continued to struggle. God continued to find me. I continue to struggle. God continued to find me. So that's why I love Frank Randy's story. So Frank Randy was sleeping on the Bowery, um, sixties and seventies. He, he had been an alcoholic from the time he was 15. Um, he had tried joining the military, got kicked out, uh, had all kinds of challenges with his family. They just sort of like, you know, disowned him. Essentially he's in New York city sleeping on the Bowery. Um, he's come through the Bowery mission program. Uh, I think it was like 10 times or something. And then he would relapse. He would say he would see the neon signs of the liquor store. And it just, he, he described how they would call to him. He just relapsed again and again and again. And one night he was um, in the park and he got attacked. Um, he was stabbed by someone in the park and he could only think of one place to go. And it was the mission because the mission would say like, we're ready for you. You want to come back, try again, come back, try again. Like we're always here for you. So he came to the mission stores bleeding and enrolled in the mission again. Um, he was, he recovered, um, he, from his injury. Um, and I think, you know, that life and death encounter was part of the thing that was like, Oh, I I've had this moment of what am I going to do with my life? And he went through the program again. And this time, he completed it um, and had this experience of faith. And, you know, that time he he didn't relapse again, but he ended up getting married. He got hired by a, I think it was an air conditioning company, worked for them for 40 years. Anyway, he is the person who's responsible for painting the Barry Mission stores. They're iconic red. It's kind of all over our branding. And if you come to the mission, even now we have our red doors and everybody, you know, if you're a New Yorker, you're like, oh, Barry Mission red doors. And he said, you know, for him, it was like because of the this experience of going from death to life, you know, he's bleeding and then he's just sort of associating that with the blood of Christ and then a new beginning for himself. Such a good story and so true. You know, the pro people don't know this, but the prodigal son went back to the pig farm after the party at home. He just didn't stay as long. Uh, it's the prayer of everybody that has tried to walk this. Oh, Lord of second chances. It's me again. <laughs> you know, that makes me wonder what happened. 
What happens when somebody wanders into the Bowery mission? I mean, that's kind of intimidating, uh, isn't it? I mean, kind of explain the way the process works. Yeah. So we are still a place where you, it's not like there's a lot of paperwork. I mean, we're a place where our doors are open and you can come in and you can get a meal. No questions asked. Um, we describe at the mission, we, we call it radical hospitality. That's our value. Um, getting to know people's names, um, having a building friendships, um, knowing who people are because people, if you're experiencing homelessness, you're just so used to being a number, you know, and you're used to kind of institutional environments and, um, the experience of kind of being on the outside all the time. And so you can just come and you can show up at 3 PM and get in line and just to get a bed for the night and receive all of our services. And then from there you can, um, you know, go on to our longer term programs. But the first step is just come on in. And you all do provide programs of um, instruction and help and like getting a job and things like that. Yes, very much. So um, we after, you know, we're developing a relationship with so many at our front doors, there is an invitation to join our longer term programs. Um, and so they are we have longer term residential programs that are uptown and they're like they're very they feel like homes and it's where people can live um, and receive wraparound services as they're getting back on their feet support for um, medical support you know uh, counseling psychiatric care um, vocational support all of that um, wraparound services but something we we talk about is um you know, our mentality is like, it's always an invitation. Um, and we talk about John five, Jesus asking, do you want to get well? Um, and that is what our, our staff, it's always an invitation for people because we, because personal motivation is so important as part of the process. Um, and so we see everything we do at our front doors that I was describing earlier about hospitality is all of that is part of an inv invitation of like, is do you want something more, you know, because we we're this is just this could just be a first step if you want more. That is so good. And the value of the people who have not been valued by our culture uh, has got to be life changing in its in itself. And then you add Jesus to the mix and something really exciting is going to happen. And Laura, you tell about that in this book. And uh, we thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing some of these stories. Thank you. It's such a privilege to be here. You guys are wonderful. So. <laughs> well, we think so, too. And our best quality <laughs> is our humility. We, <laughs> Laura, you honor us with your presence. Thank you for being with us. Guys, we're going to back out. By the way, the book is Lives Transformed, and you can go to the website give them an email they'll tell you how you can get the book um, if you make a significant contribution of over ten thousand dollars to the bowery <laughs> mission they'll give you three of them for free <laughs> but it's not a very expensive book and it's called lives transformed and you'll want to read it 
Guys, we're going to come back for a little bit and tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. And as always, you will be amazed and pleased at the prowess of uh, the lady who solicits guests for this program. So don't touch the dial. Don't touch your computers. Stay around and like Jesus, we'll return. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, a great hour and an up hour. So don't thank us. We were glad to help. Uh, By the way, did you know that you can send a prayer request directly through our Key Life app? Not only that, it puts all of our radio shows, podcasts, videos, blogs, articles right on your phone. You might want to check out that app. John Myers and some others did an incredible, they worked months on it. And uh, it's an amazing app. Give it a try at keylife.org slash app. You know, sometimes we forget uh, in all of our uh, expert opinions on what makes a difference in people's lives, counseling and medication, long-time therapy, and we forget that lives are changed by other lives, people who have been changed, who have been loved when they know they don't deserve it, who've been forgiven when they fall off the wagon, whatever their wagon is, uh, who've been uh, valued when nobody else would value them. That's the stuff that changes life, and that's dynamite stuff. And that's what the Bowery Mission is about. And a lot of of other organizations, too. Um, This idea of grace and mercy is a big one. And you know why? because we all need grace and mercy and forgiveness. And when we get it, that kind of love, we're able to give it to other people. And a place to see where that kind of thing happens and changes lives is in this little book, Lives Transformed. Ought to get it. Make your day. Kathy, who's going to be next week? Well, the prowess about which you were speaking a few minutes ago is uh, is extinct today because uh, I have absolutely no idea who's going to be on the program next week. 
No, so, we, it's a surprise. I, think I, will be. I might be on it. Who who knows? I I can't say, but you know, we'll George? just. Yeah, you sure. be on it. Yeah, well, you can tell them about the hard work of earning your doctorate. Yeah, and what you learned. And how that fixes things. Steve, you I could be on. We could yeah, interview. <laughs> Steve, we you know, could. So. No, no, we could interview you and you could tell your BB gun story next week. <laughs> and maybe you get another BB gun from Maybe. Jeans. Yes, you indeed. never know. <laughs> Guys, we're going to be back next week. Same time, same place. And it's our fond hope that you'll join us. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth. Okay,